Welcome back to the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to Episode 13, the 1997 Food City 500 from Bristol Motor Speedway in Eastern Tennessee. This was the seventh race of the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup season. The race would be run on April 13, 1997 at the Bristol Motor Speedway, which is a 0.533-mile facility with the highest banking on the NASCAR Winston Cup circuit of 36 degrees. In addition, it would be the largest ever starting field at Bristol with 43 cars. More on that later. So let's take a look at Friday's qualifying. The pole sitter was Rusty Wallace, and I was very surprised in my research to find out that this was the first pole that Rusty Wallace had won since Pocono in 1994. Ironically, he had won that race from the pole. The second place qualifier was Sterling Marlin, whose Morgan McClure team was based just down the road from Bristol. The third place qualifier was Ted Musgrave. Rusty Wallace's brother, Kenny Wallace, qualified fourth. Jeff Gordon was the fifth fastest qualifier. Dale Jarrett was sixth quick. Hutch Strickland had another good qualifying effort, qualifying seventh. Jeff Bodine was eighth fastest. Steve Grissom, coming off of a top 10 in the week before Texas, was ninth quick. Jimmy Spencer was the 10th quickest. The 11th fastest qualifier was Jeff Burden, and Brett Bodine had qualified in 12th. Other notables included Bobby Labonte qualifying 13th, Terry Labonte qualified 17th, Bill Elliott would make his 500th NASCAR Winston Cup start and would qualify 18th, Mark Martin qualified 23rd, which meant he would be forced to pit on the backstretch, along with Dale Earnhardt, who qualified 29th, Jack Sprague would fill in for Ricky Craven, who was missing his second consecutive race due to injuries suffered in practice before the Texas race, and he would start 40th. And Darrell Waltrip had to take a past champions provisional and would be the 43rd starter. The drivers that did not qualify included Bobby Hillen, who had missed his second race of the season, and he had five races, all that he had made where he did not finish, and his best finish of the season was 38th. Billy Standridge missed his fifth race of the season out of seven. He was coming off a best finish of the season of 21st at Texas. Mike Wallace had his fourth did not qualify. And after making three races in a row and having a best finish at Texas, he would miss the field at Bristol. And Greg Sachs missed for the second time this season. He'd also missed the Richmond race, meaning he'd missed both short track races. And he had a best finish of 27th at Atlanta. The weather was not great for much of the weekend at Bristol. Rain had plagued the Bush race on Saturday, which was won by Jeff Burden, but rain did not look to be in the forecast on Sunday, although it was a very overcast and cooler day than expected. The race was covered by ESPN, and the announcers had reported that it was much cooler than expected with temperatures in the low 40s. Another note on the announcers for this race, they reported that Bob Jenkins was not calling the race, the usual play-by-play announcer for ESPN because he had back surgery, which meant Jerry Punch would be in the booth with Ned Jarrett and Benny Parsons, and the pit reporters would include John Kernan, Bill Weber, and Ray Dunlap. One big story at Bristol was that Daryl Waltrip was got to be the grand marshal for the race. We talked about this on some earlier pot episodes, that Daryl Waltrip was in his 25th season of NASCAR Winston Cup racing, and he was going to run some special paint schemes throughout the season. And there had been many whispers in the garage area that this may possibly be Daryl Waltrip's last full NASCAR Winston Cup season, and he may move on to a partial schedule after that. Of course, Daryl had won 12 times at Bristol, his last victory being in the fall race in 1992. 
And his sponsor, Parts America, formerly Western Auto, was deciding to run different paint schemes that honored Daryl's success through his 25 years of racing. So today, they had a red and white paint scheme very similar to the colors that Daryl ran when he ran the number 11 car for Junior Johnson and was dominating at Bristol. So Waltrip gave the call for the drivers to start their engine. And as we had talked about earlier, Bill Elliott was making his 500th Winston Cup start. Jeff Bodine was having a milestone start, his 450th. And Rusty Wallace, who got the start on the pole, was making his 400th start. Now, the, one of the big stories for this race was that we would have 43 cars starting the race. Typically, in NASCAR Winston Cup racing, on the short tracks, they usually had started between 36 and sometimes 37 cars if they needed a spot for a past champion's provisional. This meant that usually about six to seven teams went home on the short tracks. Well, this season, NASCAR had decided that they were going to start 42 or 43 cars on the short tracks. Because Daryl Waltrip had taken the past champions provisional, that meant that there would be 43 starters at Bristol. A lot of drivers pre-race had complained about this, saying that they simply felt like it was too many cars on the track. But NASCAR was getting increasingly concerned about teams missing races. We talked about on earlier podcasts, we had about 40 to about 42 teams that really were intent on running the full full NASCAR Winston Cup schedule, which meant that you were going to have some full-time teams miss races. And with the amount of money that was being poured into the sport and with the amount of money that sponsors were paying, NASCAR just did not want to see six or seven big-name sponsors miss races. And remember, in 1997, the provisional rules were much different. If you had a situation where some guys who were very low in points, found their way into the field, but some drivers who were more in the middle of points, like in, say, the 20th to 25th place range, they could possibly make miss the race under those rules. So with that in mind, NASCAR decided that they were going to start more cars on the short tracks in 1997. This wasn't a biggest deal at Richmond, which has a little bit wider track, um, and you know was a three-quarter mile track where there's multiple grooves, so 43 stars wasn't as big of a deal. But a lot of drivers were concerned at Bristol, a very short, tight track where the main line is on the bottom of the racetrack, that starting 43 cars would be bad news. Now, for some of you newer fans, Bristol was much different in the late 90s. The track had been concreted in the early 90s, but the big difference was that this was pretty much a one-grave racetrack. The fast way to get around Bristol was typically right on the bottom of the racetrack. Now, sometimes the groove might move up slightly, and you might see drivers diamond the corners too as well. But typically, the fast way to get out of Bristol is on the bottom. So this made Bristol a classic move or be moved type of racetrack. Many times, you would come up on a driver and be much faster, but would have to get aggressive with them and maybe give them slight contact to get underneath them. It was a very physically demanding track too as well. And it was going to be one of the largest crowds ever to see a race at Bristol. Bruden Smith, since gaining ownership of the track, had greatly expanded the seating, and there were going to be 118,000 fans to watch this race. So as we talked about, the race was being run on Sunday, April 13, 1997. Another big moment in sports was happening on the same day in Augusta, Georgia. Tiger Woods had won his first major championship, winning the Masters with a score of 18 under par for his four rounds, and he won by 12 strokes, which was a record for a major championship. Before we discuss the start of the 1997 Food City 500, let's take a look at the point standings after six races in the NASCAR Winston Cup season. 
Dale Jarrett was the points leader on the strength of five straight top three finishes after he finished outside the top 20 at Daytona. This had included two victories at Atlanta and Darlington back-to-back, and he was second at Texas. Terry Labonte had moved up to second in points, 85 points behind Dale Jarrett after a strong top five finish at Texas. Bobby Labonte was third in points, 136 points behind Dale Jarrett. Fourth in points was Jeff Burton, who had won at Texas, picking up his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory, and he was trailing Dale Jarrett by 157 points. After Jeff Gordon's bad luck at Texas, he had now fallen 184 points behind Dale Jarrett in the point standings. Ricky Rudd was sixth in points, 219 points behind Dale Jarrett. Jeff Bodine was seventh, 254 points back. Mark Martin and Ward Burden were tied for eighth in points, 285 points behind. Dale Earnhardt, who had picked up his best finish of the season at Texas, was now in 10th in points, 291 points behind Dale Jarrett. Bill Elliott was 11th in points, and Rusty Wallace was in 16th in points. On a cold, overcast day in eastern Tennessee, Rusty Wallace and Sterling Marlin led the field to the green flag of the 1997 Food City 500 at the track affectionately known as Thunder Valley. The two cars raced hard into the first and second turns, but Rusty Wallace was able to pull away from Sterling Marlin coming off turn two, and he led the first 14 laps of the race. That's when the first caution of the race would come out, as the number 40 car of Robbie Gordon tapped the number 98 car of John and Jenny in turn three. And Jenny would suffer pretty serious damage to the front of his car, and Lake Speed would become involved too as well on the front stretch. Unfortunately for Lake Speed, although the damage did not look that bad, Ray Dunlap in the pits reported that Speed had significant damage to the A-frame and that the crew was trying to repair the car in the pits. In addition, Bobby Hamilton had spun in this incident in turn three, but had not hit any, anything and had received minimal damage. The race would restart on lap 19, and a few laps in, Jeff Gordon was able to pass Kenny Wallace and move into the fourth position. 25 laps into the race, Rusty Wallace was already starting to lap the back of the field. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon was able to pass Ted Musgrave and move into the third position. This was the second race of the season that Rusty Wallace had led, and the only other race he had led at Richmond, he had won. By lap 38, Jeff Gordon had moved into the second position. 40 laps into the race, Rusty Wallace was leading, Jeff Gordon was running second, Sterling Marlin was in third, Rusty's brother, Kenny Wallace, was running fourth, Ted Musgrave was in fifth, Dale Jarrett was sixth, Jeff Bodine was running seventh, Steve Grissom was in eighth, Brett Bodine was running ninth, and Terry Labonte was in the tenth position. Mark Martin had made an early move up through the field. After starting in the 24th position, he had worked his way up to the 13th position. The 30-lap green flag run would be interrupted when the caution came out on lap 49, the second caution of the race, because Ricky Rudd had spun on the backstretch. Again, it didn't look like Rudd had made all that serious of contact, but unfortunately, when the car spun around and he hit, he hit right on the edge of the wall that separated pit road and got pretty serious damage to the left front and left rear. The leaders decided the pit for the first time today in the race. And when they came out of the pits, it was actually Jimmy Spencer who beat Rusty Wallace out. Then Joe Nemechek, then Dale Jarrett, then Sterling Marlin, and then Jeff Gordon. Gordon had dropped back on this pit stop because he was blocked in by the 81 car and had to back up out up to get out of the pits. Meanwhile, Daryl Waltrip was having early race problems. The broadcast didn't mention this till later, but Waltrip had been in the pits a couple of times during the green flag and already found himself 10 laps down. On lap 54, the race restarted, 
Jimmy Spencer had had that great pit stop and taken two tires. But as quickly as the race started, we had another caution. The third caution of the race came out on lap 57 when Jack Sprague, subbing for Ricky Craven in the number 25 car, spun in turn one. He got lapped, and he had also had contact with the 40 car, too, as well. Meanwhile, the TV broadcast reported that Ricky Rudd was behind the wall because when he had clipped the inside wall on the backstretch, it had unfortunately on the left side of the car damaged where they put fuel into the car. So they were having to try to fix the pathway which gasoline would go into the car before Rudd could go back out there. The race restarted on lap 61, and it was noted that Jimmy Spencer was taking kind of a different line around the track. He was kind of diamonding the racetrack, going up the track a little bit in the middle, and then coming back down the banking. It seemed to be working for him, and his car was still running pretty strong. We would have yet another caution on lap 70. This was the fourth caution of the race, when the number 19 car, piloted by Gary Broadbury, spun off of turn two due to contact with Kenny Wallace and hit the backstretch wall. The damage was too significant for Bradbury's car, and he was forced behind the wall. The race restarted again on lap 76, and the running order was as followed. Jimmy Spencer was still running. Rust, Jimmy Spencer was still leading. Excuse me. Rusty Wallace was in second. Dale Jarrett was third. Jeff Gordon was in fourth. And Joe Nemechek was having a good run in the fifth position. We had another restart on lap 76, but again, the caution was quickly out for the fifth time today on lap 79 as Bobby Hamilton spun on the front stretch after he had contact with Dale Jarrett. The 99 car um, was in the pits and, and nearly got lapped as the green flag was coming out as he had made a late pit stop before we had a restart. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace was able to take the lead from Jimmy Spencer on lap 86. Jimmy had been able to lead 36 consecutive laps. Jeff Burton was quickly lapped after coming out of the pits, and Jeff, Dale Jarrett and Jeff Gordon were able to pass Jimmy Spencer. Unbelievably, we had a sixth caution of the race just 97 laps in as Robbie Gordon had spun and hit the backstretch wall hard. They would not be able to make repairs to the number 40 course Chevrolet for Robbie Gordon, and he was credited with a 43rd place finish. Robbie Gordon's difficult rookie season continued. The race would restart, but then quickly be back under caution for the seventh time when a part of the car of the number 31 car had fallen off. He had lost the rear bumper cover, and this brought out a caution. At this point in time, there were 31 cars on the lead lap. The race would restart on lap 119 with Rusty Wallace leading, Dale Jarrett in second, Jeff Gordon in third, Jimmy Spencer in fourth, and Cal Petty in fifth. Cal Petty, although he didn't really wasn't a big fan of Bristol Motor Speedway, was having a strong run, and he moved up into the fourth position. On lap 127, Jeff Gordon was able to get around Dale Jarrett and move to second. We had the eighth caution of the race on lap 133 when we had an incident between Jack Sprague and Mike Skinner. There would be serious right front damage to the number 25 car, and all the leaders would pit once again. So Bill Elliott decided not to pit among the leaders because he had made a pit stop on lap 99. And this would kind of be a reoccurring theme as the cautions fell. There were a couple drivers who were kind of off sequence in terms of their pit stops. So when the race restarted on lap 141, this gave a chance for Bill Elliott to be in the lead. Robert Presley in number 29 car was running second. Morgan Shepard was third. Bobby Labonte was fourth. Jeff Gordon was the, was the second fastest car off of pit road in fifth. Bobby Labonte had taken two tires. Dale Jarrett was running sixth. Sterling Marlin seventh. Jeff Bodine in eighth. Steve Grissom in ninth. And Jimmy Spencer continued to have a good run in the 10th position. 
Rusty Wallace was quickly able to move up into the third position. But we'd have the ninth caution of the race come out um, due to a wreck between the number 71 car of Dave Marcus and the number 30 car of John Be- Johnny Benson. Unfortunately for Dave, he had hard contact and backed into the number 71 car into the wall. Jeff Burton and Hutch Strickland were both trying to get a lap back, but were unable to do so. Meanwhile, the damage was significant enough for Johnny Benson to his left front that he was forced to go behind the wall too as well. The race would restart on lap 156, and we get a 29 green flag run. Jeff Burton was able to quickly get his lap back after the restart, but just a few laps later, disaster nearly struck for the whole field. Burden, who was out in front of all the leaders because he had gotten his lap back, abruptly slowed due to a blow and blown engine and would end up finishing 42nd. Everyone else scrambled to avoid Jeff Burden. And this capped off what had been a pretty unbelievable week for him. On last Sunday, he had won his, he had won his first ever NASCAR Winston Cup win, winning the inaugural race at the Texas Motor Speedway. He had won the Bush race on Saturday, but to just see how quickly fortunes could turn, he would be credited with a 42nd place finish due to his blown engine. Now, when Burton slowed abruptly, Hutch Strickland had slammed into the back of Jeff Burton, and then other cars kind of jammed up in turn two. This gave Robert Presley a chance to take the lead. Bill Elliott moved to second. Jeff Gordon was able to pass Rusty Wallace on the outside for third, and Dale Jarrett was fourth. So Robert Presley, who had had a tough start to the 1997 season, was able to grab the lead, and he lapped and he led two laps, but he quickly was forced to pit road to have to change a left side tire due to a flat tire. And it occurred because he had had contact with the number 99 car when it slowed abruptly. Jeff Gordon was able to get to the inside of Bill Elliott in turn one and led lap 163. Meanwhile, Dale Jarrett was on the move back up, getting into the third position. They reported from the pits that when Robert Presley had made contact with Jeff Burden, he had broken the valve stem on his car. Terry Labonte had moved up to the ninth position, and it was one of the better runs of the season for Brett Bodine in the number 11 close call for Thunderbird. He was now running 10th. Meanwhile, Jimmy Spencer was up to fourth, and Jeff Bodine was running fifth. And it was a good day for Steve Grissom. Like we said, he had come off a top 10 finish at Texas, and he was running ninth. Meanwhile, Dale Earnhardt was able to pass Kenny Wallace and move up into the 14th position and move Kenny back to 15th. Steve Grissom was able to make a pass on Bobby Labonte and move up to the 8th position. And Ernie Irvin had started in 38th position, was pitting on the backstretch, and he had worked his way all the way up to the 12th position. The 10th caution of the race would come out on lap 185 when Cal Petty made hard contact with the rear of his car in turn 3. What had happened was is that Dale Earnhardt was trying to get inside Cal Petty. Unfortunately, as they went into turn 3, they ran out of room and Dale Earnhardt made contact with his right front with Cal Petty's left rear quarter panel. Petty could not save the car, and it crashed hard into the wall. Dale Earnhardt and Mark Martin were very fortunate that they were able to avoid the 44 car and not get significant damage on their cars. For Cal Petty, it was a tough break. He was having a strong run at Bristol, and now he had significant damage to the rear spoiler of his car in the rear deck lid. Unfortunately, this would result in Cal Petty losing four laps in the pits. Bill Elliott decided the pit because he was on a different sequence than most of the leaders, but the majority of the leaders stayed out. The race would restart on lap 195, and there were 26 cars on the lead lap. Jeff Gordon was in the lead, Rusty Wallace was running second, Dale Jarrett was in third, Jimmy Spencer was in fourth, and Jeff Bodine was running in the fifth position. 
After the race restarted, a couple laps later, we would quickly have another caution as the number 11 car of Brett Bodine had spun. He was able to do a 360 and not hit anything. They continued to try to work on the rear deck lid of Cal Petty's car under the caution. The race would really start on lap 202, and we would run 23 green flag laps. Dale Earnhardt and Mark Martin were on the move and were gaining positions as they both moved up to the 9th and 10th position. Unfortunately, Ernie Irvin was falling back. It was reported that the number 44 car of Cal Petty had lost part of his rear spoiler. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon was pulling away from second place Rusty Wallace and now had a 1.2 second lead. Mark Martin continued his march toward the front, passing Dale Earnhardt for 8th, and Kenny Schrader had made an appearance in the top 10, running in the 10th position. We would have the 12th caution of the race on lap 225 when the number 81 car of Kenny Wallace, who was running in the top 15, had unfortunately flattened the left side of his car and had significant damage due to a spin. Kenny would not be a crew would not be able to return repair the car, and he finished in 41st position. The leaders decide to pit under this caution, and when we would have a restart on lap 232, Sterling Marlin would be the leader, Bill Elliott would be in second, Rusty Wallace was third. Jeff Gordon was fourth, Brett Bodine was in fifth, Jimmy Spencer was in sixth, Dale Jarrett was running seventh, Terry Labonte was in eighth, Steve Grissom was in ninth, Jeff Bodine was in tenth, and Dale Earnhardt was in eleventh. It was reported from the pits that Sterling Marlin was having some type of problem with his engine on restarts, and this showed up as just a couple laps after the restart, Bill Elliott was able to pass Sterling Marlin. On lap 236, we would have the 13th caution of the race due to debris. There were 29 cars at this, I'm sorry, the 29 car of Robert Presley, who had looked to have a pretty strong car and was running near the leaders, was able to get his lap back. The race would restart on lap 239. Rusty Wallace was able to grab the lead after the first lap after the restart. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon was able to pass Sterling Marlin and move into the third position. They reported that the engine problems were continuing on the four car. Bill Elliott, whose tires were a bit older, was starting to fade back and he was now running eighth. So at the halfway point in the race, we had Rusty Wallace leading, we had Jeff Gordon running second, we had Jeff Bonine in third, we had Jimmy Spencer in fourth, and we had Dale Jarrett in fifth. A shout-out to two drivers who were having a surprisingly good run was Steve Grissom, who was in the seventh position, and Brett Bodine, who was running tenth. Meanwhile, Mark Martin was able to move up into the eighth position while Bill Elliott dropped back to ninth. The 14th caution of the race came out on lap 259 when Ernie Irvin had gotten into Bobby Labonte coming off of turn four and the number 18 car spun around. In addition, the number 98 car of John Andretti hit Bobby Labonte in the rear. There would also be minor damage for the number 22 car of Ward Burton and the number 31 car for Mike Skinner. This was a setback for Mike Skinner. He had been the best rookie in five of the first six races of the season and was the clear favorite to win rookie of the year. But with some damage on his car, it might be unlikely that Skinner would be the best rookie. During this caution flag, Sterling Marlin, Bobby Labonte got damage, and Bill Elliott decided the pit. The race would restart on lap 265, and we would have a 16 green lap green flag run. Unfortunately for Ernie Irvin, he blew his engine and was relegated to a 39th place finish. The very difficult 1997 season for Ernie Irvin continued as he had had a lot of strong cars at different places, but always seemed to be running into trouble. He had wrecked hard at Texas last week trying to get a lap back, and now he had had an engine problem at Bristol. The 15th caution of the race came out on lap 281 when the number 29 car spun um, in turn two, 
And unfortunately, Bobby Labonte got heavy damage because when he clipped the spinning car of Robert Plesley, he cut a right front tire and slammed the outside retaining wall and had heavy, heavy damage. He would ultimately finish in 34th position. The race would restart on lap 287, and just two laps later, we would have the 16th caution of the race. Ted Musgrave, who was on the lead lap, was trying to battle around lap cars and was on the outside. And unfortunately, his car slammed the wall off of turn four. It actually got back up on two wheels, but came back down on four wheels. And a frustrated Musgrave, who talked about idiot lap cars in an interview after the race, finished in 38th position. We talked about Musgrave having bad luck at Texas due to an engine problem and where he'd finished 35th. The leaders pitted, and this time Jeff Gordon was able to beat Rusty Wallace out of the pits. But again, we had those four or five drivers that were off sequence in terms of their pit stops. So when the race restarted on lap 306, we would have Bill Elliott leading, Chad Little running second, Rick Mass running third, Dick Trickle in fourth, Robert Presley in fifth, Jeff Gordon, the first of the leaders who had pitted in sixth, Rusty Wallace seventh, Dale Jarrett in eighth, Jimmy Spencer in ninth, and Terry Labonte in the 10th position. After a restart on lap 306, just six laps later, we'd have yet another caution, the 17th caution of the race. This was due to a wreck on the front stretch between the number 25 car piloted by Jack Sprague and the number nine car of Lake Speed. Neither would be able to make repairs to their car, and Lake Speed had to settle for a 36th place finish, and Jack Sprague most known for his success in the Craftsman Truck Series, making his third career Winston Cup start, finished 40th. So, so far in the race, we had had just four green flag runs of 20 laps or more. It had been an absolute caution fest to start the race in the first 312 laps. The longest run, green flag run of the race, was 30 laps after the first caution. So the race would restart on lap 321, and finally we would get a long green flag run. We would get an 88-lap green flag run. And no drivers really knew how car strong their car was on a long run because most of the runs were being cut short to no greater than about 20 laps. So when the race restarted, Rick Mass was able to quickly pass Chad Little and move into the second position. But just a few laps later, Chad Little was able to move back around Rick Mass for second. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon was able to get by Robert Presley and move up into the fourth position. Rob, Rusty Wallace tried but couldn't quite get to the inside of Robert Presley. Dick Trickle was having a great run. He had passed Rick Mast and moved up into the third position. Meanwhile, Robert Presley was starting to fade a bit, and Presley had dropped from the fifth to eleventh position. Jeff Gordon was able to get by Rick Mast for fourth. Jeff Gordon was able to pass Dick Trickle a few laps later to move into the third position. Meanwhile, Mark Martin and Dale Earnhardt, who were having to pit on the backstretch, were running in 13th and 14th place, respectively. Rusty Wallace was able to get around Rick Mass for fifth, and a few laps later, Dale Jarrett also picked Rick, past Rick Mass and moved himself up into the sixth position. With 151 laps to go, Jeff Gordon passed Chad Little in turn three and moved into second place. Gordon began to quickly close in on the number 94 car. An interesting moment would happen a few laps later. The number 95 car of Ed Barrier had spun on the backstretch and looped his car around twice but not hit every, anything. Everyone expected the caution to come out, including Bill Elliott, and he slowed down as he crossed the start-finish line. Jeff Gordon's spotter was very heads-up and told him that no caution was out, and Jeff Gordon was actually able to pass Bill Elliott on the outside of Turn 1 on lap 355. Bill Elliott had led the last 59 laps. 
But now, after a few more laps clipped off, with 130 laps to go, Jeff Gordon was in the lead, Bill Elliott was running second, Dick Trickle was in third, Rusty Wallace was fourth, Dale Jarrett was running fifth, Terry Labonte was in sixth, Chad Little was running seventh, Jimmy Spencer was eighth, Jeff Bodine was ninth, and Steve Grissom was in tenth. Just a few laps later, Jeff Bodine was able to get around Jimmy Spencer and move into the eighth position. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace had moved up to the third position with 123 laps to go. Jeff Gordon, meanwhile, was pulling away from the field. He had built a two-second lead over Bill Elliott and had a nearly five-and-a-half-second lead on Rusty Wallace. Meanwhile, Dale Earnhardt was struggling. He was fading back through the lead cars on the lead lap, and with 115 laps to go, he was in danger of going a lap down. Dale Jarrett and Terry Labonte were actually able to move around Rusty Wallace and move into the fifth position. It seemed that the last adjustment that Rusty Wallace's crew had not been to his liking, and his car seemed to be running as poor as it had been in the entire race. Just before 100 laps to go, Jeff Gordon was able to get around Dale Earnhardt on the outside and put him a lap down. With 100 laps left in the race, Jeff Gordon was leading, Bill Elliott was running second, Dale Jarrett was third, Terry Labonte was in fourth, Rusty Wallace was running fifth, Dick Trickle was in the sixth position, Jeff Bodine was seventh, Mark Martin was eighth, Steve Grissom was ninth, and Chad Little was tenth. With 96 laps to go, there were 16 cars remaining on the lead lap. When ESPN returned from commercial, they had reported that the 18th caution of the race had come out due to the one car of Morgan Shepard stalling in turn two on lap 409. The drivers came to pit under the yellow flag. Jeff Gordon got out first. Rusty Wallace was in second. Dale Jarrett was third. Bill Elliott was fourth. Terry Labonte was fifth. Jeff Bodine was sixth. Jimmy Spencer was seventh. Chad Little eighth. Kenny Schrader had worked his way up to the ninth position, and Mark Martin, who was pitting on the backstretch, was now 10th. The race would restart on lap 415, and Rusty was able to quickly pass Jeff Gordon in the first lap after the restart. Just about 9 or 10 laps later, the 19th caution of the race came out due to an incident between Jimmy Spencer and Jeff Bodine. The two drivers had gotten together in turn 3 and spun. Rick Mass and Brett Bodine had sustained slight damage due to this too as well. Meanwhile, Dale Earnhardt had made an unbelievable move to get a lap back. He saw that the cars had spun in turns three and four and that the leaders were having a difficult time getting through. So he dropped his car all the way to the apron on turns three and four, drove around the flat part, and then jumped back on the track in the front stretch and easily beat the leader back to the line to get his lap back. Meanwhile, Jeff Bodine had taken a pretty hard hit, especially on the driver's side and flat in the side of his QVC Ford. The race would restart on lap 429, and Dale Jarrett was actually able to pass Jeff Gordon for second, with 70 laps to go. Meanwhile, just a few laps later, Jeff Gordon was able to get Dale Jarrett loose, and he repassed Dale Jarrett to get into second, and Terry Labonte moved up to third. Chad Little was continuing to have one of the best runs of his NASCAR Winston Cup career running fifth. Jeremy Mayfield was now up to the ninth position, and meanwhile, the number 24 and five cars of Jeff Gordon and Terry Labonte were beginning to close in on Rusty Wallace. Mark Martin, who had, was pitting on the backstretch, had worked his way up into the sixth position. So the 20th caution of the race would come up on lap 443, which would tie the modern era record for caution flags. What had basically happened was Jeff Bodine was mad about his earlier incident with Jimmy Spencer. So he waited until Jimmy Spencer came back into the car and then tried to run him into the outside wall on the front stretch. 
Unfortunately for Jeff, he ended up spinning, and his car spun all the way down to turn one. Steve Grissom, who was a completely innocent bystander and was having a good run and likely was on his way to back-to-back top 10 finishes, car just barely got clipped in the left re- in the left rear. And unfortunately, the wheel had fallen off of the car and damaged the hub, and it was a very, very frustrating day for Steve Grissom because he would be credited with a 32nd place finish. And meanwhile, Jeff Bodine would finish in the 33rd position. So, the race was winding down, and we would get a restart with 50 green flag laps left to finish the race. Mark Martin, who's pinning on the backstretch, had now moved into the fifth position. They interviewed Jeff Bodine about his incident with Jimmy Spencer, and he had a lot of critical words to say of Jimmy Spencer, and also was basically essentially saying that his steering had broken and that was the reason for the wreck. But that looked to be pretty unlikely based upon the replays. You could see that as the Jimmy Spencer on the outside came off a of turn four, that Bodine kind of intentionally nosed in the Spencer to try to spin him out and cause damage to his car. Meanwhile, with 37 laps to go, Bobby Hamilton nearly wrecked and Jeff Gordon began to close in on Rusty Wallace. Dale Earnhardt was continuing to have a good second half of the race. He had passed Bill Elliott and moved up to seventh. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon took a look to the inside of Rusty Wallace and turned two, but wasn't able to get it done. Now, all three of the leaders were nose to tail with Rusty Wallace leading, Jeff Gordon running second, and Terry Labonte in third place. With 12 laps to go, Jeff Gordon's car began to fade just slightly. Um... And he began to fall back. And with 10 laps to go, Terry Labonte actually started to pressure Jeff Gordon for second place. He had a look inside the rainbow-colored car for Jeff Gordon with seven laps to go, but couldn't quite make the pass. It seemed like Labonte had heated his tires up a little bit too much, and he began to fall back slightly from Jeff Gordon. But Labonte was able to run up tight on Gordon with two laps to go, but did not have the room to make a pass on the inside. So the field got the white flag and Rusty Wallace was in a heavy amount of traffic. In addition to that, Jimmy Spencer was limping around the racetrack very, very slow. As Rusty Wallace came off of turn two, it broke his momentum and allowed Jeff Gordon to get right to the bumper of Rusty Wallace. As the cars came into turn three, it's a little bit difficult from the replay to say whether Jeff Gordon had slight contact with Rusty Wallace or simply Rusty Wallace had bobbled in turn three. No matter the case, Gordon was able to force his car to the bottom of the racetrack, and with Rusty slipping and sliding off turn four, Gordon was able to easily win the 1997 Food City 500 by about half of a second. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace and Terry Labonte were both loose and slipping to the start-finish line, and despite Rusty Wallace bobbling off of turn four, he would come home second ultimately, and Terry Labonte would finish third. One of my favorite moments about this race was the absolute disbelief that Ray Everham showed in the pits. He was throwing his arms in the air in disbelief that Jeff Gordon had made that last lap pass on Rusty Wallace. So, I wouldn't say this was a controversial finish, but certainly in this day of NASCAR Winston Cup racing in the late 90s, there was a lot of pride in driving drivers pretty clean and not wrecking or moving someone to win a race. Now, Gordon by no means wrecked Rusty Wallace. And really, it's a debatable whether the two had contact or not, although most of the knowledge that Gordon likely had slight contact with Rusty Wallace that had shot him up the racetrack. So, for Jeff Gordon, he had picked up his third win in the 1997 season. It was his 22nd career win, 
and he had won six of the past 10 short track races. It also gave Jeff Gordon three straight victories in the spring race, the Food City 500, winning that event in 1995, 1996, and 1997. In today's race, Gordon was able to lead 132 laps. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace was the bridesmaid, finishing second. He had led 240 laps. Rusty had an impressive four top six finishes um, in the first seven races, but he also had three finishes of 31st or worse. The third place finisher was Terry Labonte, who did not lead any laps, but had his best finish since the second at Daytona. On the season, Terry now had three top five finishes and six top tens. His worst finish was a 13th place run at Darlington. Meanwhile, Dale Jarrett had finished fourth. That had given Jarrett six straight top five finishes after his worst finish of the season was a 23rd in the season opener at Daytona. Jarrett now had top fives in both short track races, although his fourth place finish broke a string of five straight top three finishes. The fifth place finisher was Mark Martin, who had done a great job from the backstretch, and Martin was looking to kind of jump start his season too as well. This was just the first top five in the 1997 season for Mark Martin, although he had finished sixth and seventh respectively at Daytona Atlanta. But Martin had some disappointments in the 1997 Winston Cup season. He had won the pole at Rockingham, but only managed to finish 13th. Again, he struggled uh, the next week too as well um, at Richmond and again finished in the 13th place, finished a couple laps down. After that good seventh-place run in Atlanta, at Darlington, Martin had a strong car but had to make two separate pit stops because they didn't diagnose the correct side of having a flat tire, and this relegated Mark to a finish outside of the top 20. Meanwhile, it was a great day for Dale Earnhardt. He had matched his season-best finish with a sixth-place run at Bristol. He had also run sixth place at Texas. In addition, Earnhardt had an eighth in Atlanta, and now he had four straight top 15 finishes with the only rate last race of the last four in which he missed the top 10 was at Darlington. It was a great day for Bill Elliott. He had finished in seventh position in the Food City 500, and he had been, had the opportunity to lead 90 laps. He had met his best finish of the season was fourth at Daytona, but he had had little success since then. So it felt good for Bill to finish seventh and get some TV time for McDonald's too as well. Chad Little had finished in eighth position, which was the best finish for him in the 1997 season, and it was tied for his best career finish. Chad had finished in eighth position in the Die Hard 500 run in Talladega in July in the number nine car for the Melling Brothers in 1992. Meanwhile, Jeremy Mayfield had finished in the ninth position, and he had his second top 10 finish of 1997. He was sixth in the Daytona 500. Brett Bodine picked up his first top 10 of the season, finishing in 10th. Meanwhile, Dick Trickle had his best finish of the season in 11th. Kenny Schrader finished 12th. Bobby Hamilton finished 13th. Robert Presley was in the 14th position, and Jimmy Spencer was 15th. The important statistics from the race showed that there were 20 cautions, which tied a, narrow, a modern era NASCAR Winston Cup record for nearly 132 laps. That means that a significant amount of this race, really over about 25% of the race, was run behind the pace car. The margin of victory for Jeff Gordon over Rusty Wallace was just under a half second. There were 13 lead changes, but among just six drivers. The average speed of the race was slowed down way by all those cautions to just 75 miles an hour, and the race took three hours and 33 minutes to complete. Some other notable finishers were Daryl Waltrip. 
We never completely heard what happened to his car from the pits, but he would be relegated to a 25th place finish. For the first time this season, David Green got the honor of being the top finishing rookie in a race, finishing in 22nd place. Robbie Gordon had been the top finishing rookie at Atlanta, finishing 13th. But Mike Skinner had been the top finishing rookie in five of the first seven NASCAR Winston Cup races and was the clear favorite to win the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup Rookie of the Year Award. As I share some final thoughts about the 1997 Food City 500, one of the biggest things that stands out to me was what a shot in the arm this win gave Jeff Gordon. We had talked about this earlier, that Gordon had gotten off to that great start to the season winning two races, but then ran into an engine problem in Atlanta, and two, a few races later, ended up being in that crash at Texas, giving him two bad finishes in the last three races that he'd run. So to win at Bristol, it was a big deal. It seemed like it kind of got the season back on the right track for Gordon. For Dale Jarrett, he continued his strong start to the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup season. He had now scored six consecutive top five finishes. And short tracks, which tended to be a concern for Dale Jarrett in the past, he had now scored top fives in the first two short track races in 1997. Jarrett certainly was showing the consistency that was going to make him a strong contender for the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. It also was a good day for Mark Martin. We had talked about that he had had some tough races where he the handling on his car wasn't as good or he had had problems with flat tires. So for Mark to get a top five from the backstretch, it felt like this could be the momentum that he needed to get his season turned around to as well. It also was a great day for Dale Earnhardt. Although he had had an up and down day, he ended up finishing in the sixth position and he and Larry McReynolds seemed like they were really getting their act together. Earnhardt now had four top 15 finishes in a row. Um, and had had back-to-back six-place finishes. Give a call out that both Chad Little, Jeremy Mayfield, and Brett Bodine, who all had very good runs, too, as well. So when we take a look at the point standings after the 1997 Food City 500, Dale Jarrett continued to be the points leader. Terry LeBonning was now second in points, 90 points behind Dale Jarrett. Jeff Gordon had moved up one spot in the points to third, and he was now 164 points behind Dale Jarrett, and he had picked up 20 points after the conclusion of the race. Due to Bobby LeBron's crash, he had dropped the fourth in points and was now 235 points behind Jared. Jeff Burton had that early race engine problem, and he fell to fifth in points, 285 points behind Dale Jarrett. Mark Martin gained two spots in the points, and he was now 290 points behind Dale Jarrett. Seventh in points was Ricky Rudd, who also was involved in an early crash, and he now found himself 297 points behind the leader. Dale Earnhardt had picked up two spots in the points and was now 301 points back. Bill Elliott, who had had a great day at Bristol, which was one of his better runs other than the season opening Daytona 500, was now 324 points behind Dale Jarrett, ninth in points. Rusty Wallace had picked up six positions in points due to his second place finish. He was 332 points back. Ward Burton had lost three spots in the points and dropped to 11th. Jeff Bodine was the biggest dropper. He had fell, fallen five spots in the points and was now 12th in points. Sterling Marlin was 13th in points, Bobby Hamilton was 14th in points, and Michael Waltrip was sitting 15th in points. Give a call to a couple other drivers that were doing a nice job 
with Brett Bodine sitting 17th in points and Morgan Shepard sitting 19th in points. The point standings were very tight. If you looked at 5th through 12th position, they were separated by just 65 points. And if you looked even a little bit further, in 5th through 15th position, the drivers were separated by just 100 points. This would mean if you had a bad day or a good day, you would have the opportunity to move quite a bit up or quite a bit down in the points. Next week, the NASCAR Winston Cup Series would head to Martinsville Speedway for the Goodies 500. Thank you for joining us today on the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast. Hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next week when we take a look back at the 1997 Spring Race at Martinsville.